Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. For message notes and links to big things going on at Hope, check out the notes section below. When you're done listening to this episode, take a minute to follow us here, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and download our free app. From there, you can find all of our recent message content, additional resources, and more. If you like what you hear today, we encourage you to share this with your friends or family. Enjoy. What's up, Hope? How are we? You don't have to ask me how I am like last week. I'm good. Welcome to those of us, those of you joining us online or at one of our physical campuses. Uh, we're going to do stuff a little bit backwards this week. So if you have your Bibles, whether you're watching online or um, joining us in person, if you could go ahead and bring those out. And uh, we're going to start reading from Ephesians chapter 1. Normally, I'll talk for a long time and kind of set attention and stuff. And then we'll slowly get into a, a, a section of Scripture and go through it slowly. But this week... I've just been drawn back to this one phrase, just this one phrase, not even a full sentence or a full verse, but just one phrase out of the verses that Jason kind of kicked this whole series off of. It's in Ephesians chapter 1, and um, he used this because Paul is praying for this amazing church in the town of Ephesus. Even though they're great, that they understand the gospel, they love each other, they still haven't stepped into the more that God has for them. And uh, I've just been going back to this chapter over and over and over again. And so my whole point this whole week is just to take this one phrase and to make it come alive. Just take this one phrase at the end of this chapter and maybe get you to see it for the first time or for the first time in a long time. So let's go ahead and read. He's been praying uh, that they would have a deeper understanding of God's love uh, that they would know the hope to which they have been called and that they would understand the power that's available to him. Then he explains that power. He says that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for, here's the reason, here's what it was all leading up to. This is why he did all of this for the church. And what is the church? Here's the phrase. It's his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That phrase is going to make a lot more sense in a little bit, but... I got to get there first. If you remember, um, a few weeks ago, I talked about, maybe I talked about a lot about how much I used to get in trouble uh, in school when I was growing up. And uh, I don't think, I think you guys kind of underestimate how much I actually got in trouble. So I, I talked about how I used to get suspended for fighting. Um, I actually got like suspended the max amount that you can get suspended without repeating a grade. And if you want to know uh, what that number is, it's 22 days of in-school suspension and eight days of out-of-school suspension. And I reached that goal 
Not once, but multiple times, okay? Now, I, I talked about how it was for fighting. When I'm not condoning this, all right? I got, I got the help that I needed. But uh, I talked about how it was a fighting during the battle cry a series. But the fighting kind of calmed down when I was in seventh grade. Uh, but I still kept getting suspended all the way into 10th and 11th grade. And it was for dumb stuff. It was for silly stuff like we all do, you know, like throwing stuff in class or uh, cracking jokes in the back. We all do it like uh, uh, putting fireworks in the air conditioning vent in the math hall bathroom and lighting them on fire, just normal stuff uh, we all do. Uh, <laughs> something I got suspended a long time for is uh, I, one Halloween, I bought a Gumby outfit to wear around. I think we have a picture of it. They might put it up on the screen. Do you guys remember Gumby? Like with his friends, Pokey, Prickle, and Goo, right? He will walk through the wall if you... Okay, never mind, 90s kids. But that's me, not Eddie Murphy, but me behind that mask. And uh, I had the bright idea that I would take that Gumby costume to school after Halloween and uh, put it in my locker. And so for a few weeks straight, I would ask to be excused from my class and I would go to my locker, grab the Gumby costume, put it on. I would run outside. This is before we had alarms and cameras and stuff. And I would slowly walk by the classrooms, the windows outside <laughs> until the students and the teachers would freak out. And then I'd round the corner, take it all off and walk in like nothing happened. And I got a kick out of this. And I would do this multiple times a week for like weeks on end. And it began to be like this Clark Kent Superman situation. Like every time the Gumby sighting happens, like Chase is nowhere to be seen. And they never did figure out who was behind the Gumby mask until they did. And I got suspended. So lots of dumb stuff, I, immature stuff. I got the help that I needed, like I said earlier. In fact, uh, it was in 10th grade that a teacher made me her private project. And so uh, I was my English teacher. I really loved English. And so she made it her job, her project. She sat me down and said, Chase, you are no longer going to get suspended or get in trouble. We're going to get to the bottom of this. And so we had lots of conversations and she came up with a lot of ideas. And finally she approached the principal and said, here's, here's what I propose. How about we allow Chase to go into class and you give him the worksheets and the workbook early and he gets all of his schoolwork done and then we remove him from the class and he helps out the janitor or he helps out the librarian or he helps out uh, on the school grounds. And so the, the principal, I guess, was desperate at that point and he said, yeah, let's try it. So that's what I started doing in 10th grade. I would go to my class, I would sit in the corner, I would get all the books and all the worksheets and I was a fast worker and stuff and I'd get it all done and then I would go pick up trash or I'd go mop floors or I would go uh, organize the nonfiction section of the library and wouldn't you know it, I never got in trouble again. We did that all throughout 10th and 11th and 12th grade. And the teacher had figured out what the reason was. She thought it was because I had a bad home life. It wasn't. I had two amazing parents. Well, then she thought it was because I was spoiled, like you're not getting in trouble. And I definitely was getting in trouble every time I was suspended. Then she thought it was like a mild case of ADD. We still think that that's the case. But back in those days, you didn't really take medicine unless it was, well, you did take medicine. It was your dad's belt. So, but they ruled that out. But what they realized was that the reason I was getting so much trouble was because I was bored. I was bored out of my mind. I was sitting in class taking in information, being tested that I had taken in information, and I wasn't be at, being asked to use any of it. I did okay in like art class or science class where they had labs, but I was just taking in and taking in and taking in and never giving out. And that boredom had led to some pretty destructive behavior. This week I actually looked up some statistics on boredom. You would think 
that with all the technology that we have, with our smartphones and computers, the fact that we have social media, we can jump into groups and connect with people any moment of the day, that all of my sermons are posted online. We would never deal with boredom ever again, right? But actually, the opposite is true. Um, Sociologists have actually figured out that we are more bored now than we ever have been in the history of the entire world. Uh, On average, Americans say that they are bored 60.4 hours a week, which is 131 days a year. So Americans would say, I'm just bored out of my mind for more than four months out of the year. Isn't that crazy? And uh, psychologists have actually linked this boredom to a rise in depression, a rise in substance abuse to kind of like break up the boredom. Um, There's a rise in absenteeism from work or from school. Like, I don't want to go. I'm just bored. Um, There's a rise. There's a decrease in job satisfaction. And there's actually, it leads to this general sense that life has no meaning. I mean, that's what boredom is at its root, isn't it? Its foundation is like, what is the point? Why am I doing this? What is the point of any of this? A survey in the UK actually revealed, get this, 89% Almost 9 out of 10 of young people aged 16 to 29 believe that their lives have no meaning or purpose. 84% would say that I am not living my best life. And I could go on and on with the statistics on, on boredom and purposelessness or meaninglessness. But I've been around the church for a while. And I had this creeping suspicion that if you took those surveys... And gave those same surveys to the people in the church. And instead of saying, are you bored with life? Inserted God or church or the Christian walk. I think those statistics would stay about the same. That's a safe place, right? We could admit this. But I think there's many, many people, whether you're watching online or joining us in person. I think there's so many Christ followers, good people that are a part of churches week in and week out. That if they were honest, they would say they've just come to this place of boredom, of purposelessness, of what is the point when it comes to their Christian walk, when it comes to attending church, when it comes to doing all those Christian things. And I I have this suspicion because I've been there, which we'll talk about, and I can kind of see the symptoms. You might not know this, but um, if you uh, attend one of our campuses, uh, every single time I go to teach, I, um, I worship the first few songs And then you'll see me kind of walk onto the back side of stage, the last song of the worship set. You'll see Apex Campus, Raleigh Campus especially. Um, But I'm not really worshiping. I'm looking at you, surprised. I'm staring at you uh, for a whole song. But I'm seeing who God's brought us. I'm seeing who the Lord has um, blessed us with. And I'm praying for you. If I know you, I'm praying for you by name. I'm praying that all of us would just come into contact with God. But it's this weird thing a lot of times because I'm looking at a crowd that's worshiping and doesn't know they're being watched. And like a quarter, if not a half of you, just look bored out of your mind. And I, I look at like the lyrics on the screen and then I look at the faces out in front of me, and I'm like, they don't match. They don't match. Like, like today, the lyrics were, oh, Christ be magnified, right? Christ be magnified. Let his praise arise. Jesus, may you be glorified, magnified inside of me. And a lot of you were saying, oh, Christ be magnified. Like, when do the Panthers play, right? Let his praise arise. Baker Mayfield better not screw up. Christ be magnified. Just hands in your pockets, just bored. 
And, and I know that that feels like because I've been there. In fact, it was about 10 years ago, and I was a pastor at one of the fastest growing, most exciting churches uh, in the U.S., Hope Community Church. And uh, I had actually been brought on board to help start our Holly Springs campus, which started at Holly Springs High School and turned into the Apex campus. And it was so cool because I got to see God do some amazing stuff. I got to see all these people come to be in a relationship with him. And I had moved in uh, to a different uh, pastoral role. But for some reason, a few years after I've been doing all this sort of stuff, I kind of got into a rut and I got into that board phase as well. And it's weird because I was doing all the things that I was asking other people to do. I was reading my Bible and learning more about it. I was praying uh, in my prayer closet. I was attending the weekends, of course. Uh, I was serving on the weekends. I was a part of a small group, but I just got into a rut where I was like, is this, is this it? And if I can be honest, I'm not celebrating this at all. But I, I really got to the point where I had been in church so long, I was like, just, okay, it's another community series. I got it. Okay, it's another series on relationships. Another series on service. Okay, Chris Tomlin came out with a new song. Okay, I get it. We're going to sing that for a few weeks. Go to the next one. And it just seemed like it got to this point where church became like this. It seems to seem like a book club that never ended. And the book never changed, right? That's what it was for me. And so I turned to Jenny one day and was like, I hate to it. I'm a pastor. This is bad. But I've just gotten to a point where I, I, I don't, like, is this it? Is this the totality of the Christian life that God's called us into? I'm just kind of bored. And Jenny looked at me and she said, I don't want to say anything, but I, I kind of am too. And it was around this time that Jason Gore, our lead pastor, uh, he went and planted a church and he came back. And he was my boss. Still my boss, but he was my boss then. And um, he took me and some staff members to this conference in Austin, Texas. And it was unlike any conference I'd been on. It wasn't like a conference on strategies to grow your church or uh, best practices for small groups or anything like that. It was on the mission of God and the church's part in that mission. But mainly how we as individuals could take part in that mission every day of our lives. And it was unlike any conference I'd been to, and I heard speaker after speaker kind of get on stage and share how God was using them to pour into people, and not people that were necessarily in the church, but people that were very, very far from God. And how God was using them, individual, in small ways and in big ways, to bring the light of the gospel to dark places and to bring hope to these hurting people. And for the first time in a long time, I found myself just on the edge of my seat, just leaning in, just, just hanging on every word that they said. And I remember going back to my hotel room that night and reading some of the books these guys had written, but really just opening up my Bible and reading it in a way that I hadn't in years. And I just had this epiphany in my hotel room, like, of course I'm bored. I've been going about this Christian thing all wrong. The way that I've been doing this whole Christian walk is not that it was incorrect, it's that it, it's incomplete. I've been missing out on a whole category of living that God calls his people into. And uh, over the course of a few months, God just began to show me things and make things clear. And here's how I would explain it now. Um, there's the totality, the, the whole Christian life that God calls every single one of us into. When we first hear the gospel, 
And when we first understand uh, that Jesus lived the life we couldn't and he died the death that we should have and that we can be forgiven and, and be made right with him and be adopted into his family, the very first kind of sphere that we experience is this sphere that I call communion. And not the type of communion that's the bread and the cup, but like our relationship with God. Like this is usually where we start out, right? We spend time in our Bibles getting to know his character. We spend time in prayer, like speaking with him. We start to increase our understanding of the scriptures and his word to us. Uh, You start becoming more like Jesus. Uh, You drop some of your bad habits and you pick up new ones that are life-giving, that are healthy, that Jesus wants for you. And this season of your Christian walk, it's so amazing because you're dropping all these sinful ways you used to see the world. And you're just seeing things in in a new light and through this redeemed sort of lens. And it's this amazing season, but somewhere along the way, you kind of hit like a cul-de-sac. You kind of hit like a brick wall, like a dead end, because you realize that you have some blind spots that you can't quite get rid of. Or you have some habits and some hang-ups that you can't quite handle by yourself. And it's usually around this time that you hear a sermon series on community. Or you hear a sermon on small groups. Or you hear a sermon about the need to connect with a smaller group of people outside of church And you decide, maybe this is it, maybe this is what I'm missing. And you take the step and you jump into the third circle of community. And this is where you stop trying to do the Christian life alone. Uh, This is where uh, you might get in a men's group or a women's group or get an accountability partner. And you realize, man, confession is a really good thing bringing dark things into the light, asking people to pray for you. Accountability is so, so helpful. And now when you study God's word, it's not just on your own. You're actually having knowledgeable people like show you, oh, this is what this passage really means or I've never heard this story in this way before. And again, this is just an amazing season. It's where church becomes not this sea of strangers, but it becomes like this family. And you start, when you go to church, you start coming early because you want to see your brothers and sisters in Christ. And when church is over, you kind of linger a little bit so you can have fellowship, so that you can kind of check in with your friends. And when you take the step, man, it just breathes this new life into your walk with God, and you grow by leaps and bounds. But along the way, again, just like the first circle, you're going to start to hit a dead end. You're going to start to hit a cul-de-sac, a crossroads. Because there's only so many years of sermons, and I love sermons, that you can listen to, or theology books that you can read, and I love books, or small group studies that you can do where you start asking, okay, what, but what is it for? Like, what's, what's next? Is this it? Is this all that God has for me? And sadly, what I think is that this is where so many of us stop. I bet 40, 50% of American Christians have just settled for this in the Christian life. And this is where I had stopped. This is absolutely. And what I realized through that conference and what I realized through reading God's word anew is that I was missing out on a whole category that God had for me. Right? I was paying attention to all these different commands, but I forgot the very last one that Jesus gave his disciples. After he, he drew them to himself 
and formed a relationship with them. After he, he formed a tight-knit community, what was one of the last commands he gave them, right? All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. See, I had heard Jesus say to me, come, come and follow me. And I had done that. I'd been obedient to that, but I'd forgotten that he also said, go. (laughs) And that's, Jesus says that explicitly. He says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. John 20, 21. And I had heard that Jesus would receive me and that Jesus would transform me, but I forgot that that was for the purpose of sending me. And even as a pastor, I had fallen into this thinking that probably a lot of you can identify with. Even as a pastor, I said, yeah, yeah, but that, that mission, that go, that, that sending, that's for people that have the gift of evangelism. And I have the gift of discernment, or I have the gift of teaching, or I have the gift of serving. Like so, that, that's, that's, that's God's call for the few, not for all, but nothing could be further from the truth. When you get into God's word, you see that sending is God's plan for every single follower of Jesus. And I learned that I was missing this last circle, and it's the circle of mission. It's where I learned that I I wasn't just blessed for no reason, but I was blessed to be a blessing. That I was saved and I was transformed so that I could go to other sinners just like myself and point them to the source of that saving and that transformation. And what I realized is that that is the sweet spot, you see? And I just had this epiphany that the purpose of our life, it's not just to know God, although how incredible is it that we can even do that? That the sovereign God of the universe has made himself known through the Bible and through his uh, his son and that we can actually know him. But but our full purpose is to know God and then to make him known. Here's how I'll illustrate it like this. Getting two illustrations. You guys are lucky this week. Okay, this is you. And this is God. I know he looks like the Kool-Aid man. This is the only picture that I could find at the church. But this is you, right? Like before you come to know Jesus, empty is what the Bible says, thirsty, looking for something to kind of fill the void. It's, it's not a magic trick, all right? Just stick with me. Empty. And then you hear that someone came and lived the life you couldn't live and died the death you should have died and that, that God will actually forgive you. And you get that first taste of acceptance. And you get that first taste of grace. And you get that first taste of mercy. And then you go to God's word and you're like, oh, he's actually given us instructions for how to live a good life. And you start to apply them and you start to obey God's word and you grow and you grow and you get fuller and fuller and fuller. And then you hit that kind of first uh, uh, roadblock. And then you say, well, let me just step into community. And then God uses others to speak truth to you. And God uses others to call you out on sin. And God uses others to encourage you and to fill you up, but you get to a certain point where there's no room left, right? And try as you might, you can put more stuff in and more stuff in, but there's nowhere left to contain it. There's no freshness. There's no excitement, right? There's no passion. There's not that that, that feel of your first love that you once had. And that's where a lot of us stay for years and years. But see, what God says is that when you get to that point, then you stop thinking about yourself and you find maybe a, uh, someone, a kid on your, on your um, kid's soccer team that maybe comes and his, his uniform's not always washed. And when they set out the snacks, he just flocks to it. 
right, and his parents never come. And you say, you know what, I, I don't know his story, but I want to put myself in proximity with that student. M maybe I can just help him a little bit. Or maybe it's a single mom that just moved into your apartment complex or your neighborhood. And you don't know her story either, but you see that she's stressed out. And you see she, she, uh, she's barely holding stuff together. And you say, okay, I noticed this. I just want to put myself in proximity with them. Or maybe it's a new student in your college dorm that just transferred from another university. And you don't know their story, but you can figure out, man, they left some pretty hard stuff. They're not making friends as easily. And you look at these sort of people and you say, okay, okay, here's what I want to do. I want to put myself in the proximity of those people. I want to put myself in a position where I might be able to transfer some of what God has given me to them. And when God sees you do that, you know what he says? He says, oh, you're going to need some more grace because you need to begin to see them as I see them. And you're going to need some mercy because they're not hurting people, hurt people. And you're going to need some more truth because they're going to ask hard questions and you're going to need to be able to answer it. And you're going to need a community of people to rally alongside of you so that you can serve them and they can help you in doing that. And slowly what you see, the more people you begin to be willing to overflow, the more consistently and powerfully God pours into you. And you realize that's the picture of a church. It's the fullness of him who fills all people and all dark situations and all horrible, sinful circumstances in absolutely every way. That's what the church is. And the light bulb goes off. The life-changing moments when you realize you were never meant to be a container but a conduit that you weren't meant to fill up and to fill up and to stay there, but eventually to overflow, to overflow, you see? And you don't move into this new like super phase of being a Christian. You don't graduate from church and small group and Bible study. Actually, those things become even more important. You want your Bible study to just go crazy like it's on steroids? Go pursue someone who's far from Jesus. And you know why you're going to read your Bible more than ever? Because they're not going to ask you the same questions that your small group asks you. No neighbor of mine's ever knocked on my door and said, I've really been struggling. Can you tell me the root Greek word for fellowship, right? They don't ask that. No, they say, hey, why did God let my wife pass away five years ago? Why did my marriage fall apart? How can you have hope when everything seems hopeless? How can you really believe that a dead man rose from the grave and you're going to go to God's word and your prayer life is going to go crazy because you're going to be praying for them? Your small group is going to be so important because once they get interested, you'll realize you can't do it alone and that they don't just need to hear the gospel but see it lived out, right? And church on the weekends, oh my goodness, after pouring yourself out all week long, you need that fill up. And it can get lonely. You might be the only Christ follower in your dorm or your office or your neighborhood or your family. And it can easy, be easy to think, I'm, I'm the only one doing this. But then you come to church on the weekends and you stand beside dozens, hundreds, thousands of people praising the same God. And you're like, I'm not in this alone. And even serving on the weekends becomes so important. You become more thankful for it because it's through that that you learned these incredible skills like noticing people who were on the fringes that you never noticed before. You learn the skill of bringing up the gospel just naturally in conversations. You learn how to put other people's needs ahead of your own. And then you begin to see this all over Scripture. In John, Jesus says, let anyone who is thirsty 
come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will fill them up. No, will flow from within them. Paul saw this as his whole calling. He says, for I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. In Philippians 2, Paul says every single Christ follower needs to have the same mind, take on the same attitude of Jesus who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but rather emptied himself, poured himself out by taking on the form of a servant. See, ultimately, if you're bored here, (laughs) if you're missing that passion, you have to change your paradigm. Ultimately, the church is not a place where we come to fill up. It's a people that God sends to pour themselves out, right? And so Jenny and I began to have conversations about this. And we said, this is kind of sad that we're in full-time ministry and we don't know how to do that. We know how to draw a crowd but not love our neighbor. And so we just began taking steps. And uh, we picked our next-door neighbor. She was a single lady. I don't have time to tell the whole story. It was years ago. But I, the first thing I did was I took her trash down during trash day. And I did that a few times. And then she knocked on the door. Hey, weirdo, why, what are you doing with my trash can on trash day? She's trying to serve. And, uh, but we invited her into our life, and we would make dinner for her and have her over for um, game nights and Thanksgiving and Christmas. And um, about a year and a half, two years in, she um, knocked on our door. I need to talk to you about something. So we sat down, and she said, I'm in. In what? She said, I want to follow Jesus. And I'm like, well, I should probably tell you the gospel. Hold on. And so shared the gospel, got her Bible. She accepted Jesus and started coming to the church. And um, I've been in front of crowds a lot, but there's something so special about seeing someone go from death to life in front of your very eyes and knowing you had a small part to play in that, right? And so we were hooked. So when we moved to our next neighborhood, we kept reaching out to our neighbors. And then um, we told a whole bunch of people, 20 people about this sort of lifestyle and said, would you move and help us reach Asheville? And they said, yeah. And and on and on it goes. And we've never looked back, but I can tell you one thing. From that moment in my hotel room until now, the Christian life has never been boring. I love how Michael Horton says that when we try to fit God into our life movie, the plot is all wrong. And not just wrong, but trivial. When we're pulled out of our own drama and cast as characters in his unfolding plot, we become a part of the greatest story ever told. That's what Paul's talking about in Ephesians 1 that we're in the last chapter of God's grand drama. And God could have kept Jesus here, but he didn't. Instead, he's up in heaven and he's empowered us. He's filled us. He's dwelling in us so that we can go and change the world. So we're going to be talking um, a lot about this in the future. Um, This is my passion. This is Jason's passion. This is the passion of the elders. We're doing a whole series in the spring on how you can practically begin to live this out. But for now, for those of you that might be a little bored or maybe you just got shooken up like, oh, yeah, God's called me to mission. I haven't been obedient to that. I just want to give you three things that you can do in the next, honestly, seven days to begin to take a step into this third circle. Ready? Here's the first one. The first one is give. I said it last week. I'll say it again. Chase, stop asking for my money. No, this is the easiest way that you can take something that God has poured into you and get it into someone else's life. With one click, you can help rescue someone from human trafficking here in Raleigh 
and get their life started out on a whole different path. You can help uh, vulnerable women in Haiti learn a life skill so they can support their family and go on to be the leaders of the new country. Just go to gethope.net slash give, sign up, give to our general fund. You don't even know half the stuff that money goes to. I actually, I don't have time for this. Oh, well. Um, uh, Last Sunday, I preached, and then I went home, and then I, I got invited back to a referee the high school dodgeball game, and it was a whole tournament, and I forget the number. They texted it, but I'm bad with numbers, so it's, I think it was over 200 um, kids came, and the cool thing was that there were teams of eight or ten, and four people from those teams could not have attended Hope before. Amazing is that. And there was a cash prize. And I noticed it was definitely an outreach event because I was refereeing the first game and I was hearing language I don't normally hear at church on the weekends. And I, but in my heart, I'm like, this is amazing. This is awesome. And then um, Tyler Bryan, if you don't know him, he works in our family ministries, our student ministries. And he got up on stage. And high schoolers have such the, 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 the biggest wall. It's hard when you're teaching them to, to get past that wall. And Tyler just broke through it in a second and unashamedly talked about Jesus and said, hey, let's all bow our heads. If that's new for you, that's okay. And said, if you'd be interested in this amazing guy named Jesus and you want a relationship with him, just want to talk about it, lift your head and half the room raised their head. And I just teared up. I'm like, this is what it's all about. And you can be a part of that just by giving. That's the first one. Secondly, serve. Like I said earlier, if it's intimidating to go up to your neighbor and to serve them, you need to get on one of our serve team. Not so that we can pull off our weekend service, but so that you can learn how to see needs before someone asks. So you can learn how to bring up the name of Jesus without feeling awkward. Um, you can even go to gethope.net slash local hope and you can join a team to head on down to help hurricane victims down in Florida. You can do that in the next week or two. But I'd ask you to give, I'd ask you to serve, and then lastly, I'd ask you to begin to ask God, pray to him, reveal to you who are your people. When it comes to this mission thing, it can be so intimidating. God, I don't have what it takes to change the world. Good, he's not asking you to. He's asking you to find one and to point them to the only one who can change anything. And so for us, it was our neighbor. Then it was the city of Asheville. Honestly, right now, it's our foster daughter. It's our beautiful, precious three-year-old girl who God's brought into our life and the family members she's still connected with and the social workers that she's connected with. That's who God has called us to in this moment. Jason Gore, he won't talk about this, but um, he's been pouring into a youth football team for the past five or six years, just showing up day in, day out, coaching, loving on these kids and these families and the stories he can tell about the kids that feel accepted, kids that, that feel loved, and now the parents that are sharing some of their struggles. It can just be one single mom. It can be one neighbor across the street. It can be one child with special needs. It can be um, one dorm room. It can be one office. We have people trying to reach one local uh, beer uh, club or one bourbon club in the city. It's hope, right? That makes sense. It can be your nursing home. It can be whatever it is. But just ask God, not would you send me, because you've already been sent. But God, reveal to me who you have sent me to. I'm here. I want to overflow. And when you go to God like that, I promise he'll bring a need to you. Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message and encourage you to share it with your friends and family. If you live in the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina, we'd love to meet you at one of our weekend gatherings. 
For campus locations, service times, and information on our children and student environments, check out gethope.net. To make sure you don't miss our next message, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. We would like to invite you to support what we are doing by visiting gethope.net slash give. Through generosity of people like you, Hope can run programs like our food pantry, homework club, project classroom, and many more.